This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in your day, what's the first thing you would do? Get outside more? Check in on that friend you've been meaning to catch up with? Maybe learn how to play an instrument? I know I've thought about what I would do with more time in my day, and many people daydream about what they might do in that scenario. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your actual schedule is to know what's important to you and take whatever reasonable steps you can to make those things more of a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Therapy is not just for people who've experienced major traumas. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and it empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a quick questionnaire that will match you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash FilmDaily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Film Show. Today is Tuesday, June 13th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film writer and box office analyst, Ryan Scott. Hey, hey everyone. How's it going? All right, Ryan, before we get into it today, I wanted to remind listeners that we are still giving away five Blu-ray copies of Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. The uh, contest that we're running ends uh, tomorrow night at midnight, essentially. So uh, to win, all you have to do is follow Slash Film on Twitter and retweet the tweet that I have linked in the show notes. uh, And you have to be based in the US to win. But um, yeah, Jacob and I talked last week about how much we enjoyed the Dungeons the Dragons movie, and I would encourage people to enter that contest because it's very simple to win and or very simple to enter, and you might win. So give it a shot. Um, all right, let's get into the news today, Ryan. There's a lot of stuff that I want to talk about. Uh, first up, right before we started recording, news broke that Sarah Polly, the Oscar winner who recently won an Oscar for uh, writing the uh, best adapted screenplay for Women Talking, is going to be directing a live action Bambi movie for Disney. Um, I don't really have much of a reaction to this yet. I'm still kind of like my head is still swirling, spinning at this at this news. Do you have any like, uh, you know, gut level reaction on this, Ryan? It was inevitable. But like, man, you talk about like things you put in live action, like Bambi's still pretty brutal. Like as far as like, oh, damn, Bambi's mom died. Like, dude, that I don't know how you do that in live action without just like ruining kids lives forever. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, Because everyone had that. I think Bambi's up there as far as like 
traumatizing Disney stuff. For me, Fox and the Hound is the worst thing ever, but this is close. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I just think that that's, that's a bold choice. Although I will say this, like Sarah Polly is an interesting choice. If we know, as I've talked about, because of how much money, you know, Little Mermaid made on opening weekend, despite its budget getting in the way, like Disney's not going to stop these live action remakes. So the best you can hope for is that you get guys like David Lowry, who are going to do interesting stuff with them. And Sarah Polly strikes me as that kind of person for this movie. Yeah, same thing with uh, Barry Jenkins, who's directing the next Lion King movie, which is just like an insane sentence that I never thought I would have to say. But like such is the, you know, the state of uh, the current American blockbuster system under the Walt Disney Corporation. So, um, okay, let's pivot away from Disney for a second and talk about uh, the new Transformers movie. Um, I, I was talking a little bit about this uh, with Jacob last week, but Ryan, I, I'm curious how this film performed at the box office on its opening weekend. Transformers Rise of the Beasts. How did it do? Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, it, it did, um, well, it, okay. It did, it did, it did. Okay. Um, let's, uh, what we need to talk about is like, this is all relative, right? So the final numbers came in, um, which were a little bit above my write up from the weekend, but, Transformers Rise of the Beast topped the box office, which is the good news. Made $61 million domestically. And uh, the global number is $171 million. Not bad. Problem is, these movies have always been tremendously expensive to make. So this one was $195 million is what the budget's pegged at. So that's like a lot less than Transformers The Last Night, which was $217 million. But it's a hell of a lot more than Bumblebee, which was $102 million. That budget is what made Bumblebee a success, even though it only made $468 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. That's why I hammer away at budgets all the time. You know, $100 million is still a lot of money, but you can make a lot less money and still be a success at that budget level. Yep. And I think Bumblebee still very much looked like a Transformers movie. I don't know that there was a lot of love lost there. Um, so, I, you know, it's all relative. I think that um, it's going to depend a lot on the holds, but there's a lot of competition in the coming weeks. Um I, I best guess is that this is over under 500 million. So maybe a little over 500 million worldwide. That's not quite enough to justify that budget. But after merchandising, ancillary revenue, what have you, it probably gets into the black. But you sort of have to look at the future and we can talk about that in a second and sort of wonder how many more of these expensive Transformers movies can you justify with returns like this? Um, yeah. So, so you're, you're saying that, uh, or you're predicting that like the, the total, um, box office totals, like at the end of its run might be a little bit over 500 million. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I think that's our best guess right now. Like, you know, uh, prognostication only gets you so far. I've always been better at analyzing this stuff than predicting it, but, but yeah, once you have that first weekend and you look at the competition ahead, I, I would, it looks like if I were to guess a number right now, I'd say like 525 million if I were to guess, but okay. uh, that, that would be my best guess. I'd say absolute best case scenario is like 600 million, but that would be a miracle. So factoring in the budget of this movie and sort of, um, you know, whatever else you want to factor into it, what do you think Paramount is thinking about how this, how this movie has performed so far, Ryan? Because like the, I, I stopped watching these Transformers movies after I think it was the last night. Um, actually, I saw Bumblebee, so maybe I only skipped 
one or two in there. I don't think you skipped anything because last night was the last Michael Bay one, then Bumblebee came. So I don't think maybe you didn't miss anything. Wait a second. What's the, this is great podcasting. What's the name of the one right before last night with Mark Age of Extinction. Yeah, that one. Sorry. I never saw last night. Okay. So I guess I've only skipped one. Anyway, uh, these movies have been, um, I think financially speaking, sort of on a downward trend. I know that like at one point a few years ago, Paramount had something like 14 Transformers movies in various stages of development. So this is clearly like a franchise that they they love because probably because those first few Michael Bay movies performed so well. Um, but like if you look at it on a graph, my sense is that, you know, there's a little bit of a downward trend here. So how do you think Paramount is thinking about the Transformers franchise and whether or not it's still, you know, like uh, a, a, um, a crown jewel that they have? Well, it was downward at the end of Michael Bay, but let's even look at that for a second, right? Transformers last night, $217 million budget, six hundred and two, almost $603 million worldwide. Given everything we've seen in the post-COVID era, I actually think most studios would take that. Really? Okay. Like if you said, now I'm not saying that's great, but I'm saying with a franchise like Transformers, you get a lot of toys, you get a lot of merchandise, you get, you know, a longer run on... VOD, Blu-ray, cable, like over the life of that movie, you know, that that 600 million is maybe a little more. So I'd say if you could get that budget down to even like 200 million and you're getting 600 million worldwide, that's three times your budget. Most studios take that. Mm -hmm. So that's but that but people were kind of fed up with the Michael Bay of it all. Bumblebee, I think the worst thing that happened was the pandemic because Bumblebee brought back a lot of goodwill and was actually a hit relative to its budget. So that five-year gap is was harmful. However, the the I w- I know critics were a bit mixed, but the general consensus with Rise of the Beast seems to be from fans like, oh yeah, okay, this is I this is this is I'm okay with this. You know, like I had fun with it, like relative to the last couple of Michael Bay ones. So like, I would wager that Paramount is looking at this like, okay, we have a little bit of forward momentum here, even though this may not be like the returns we used to get we can maybe start building back some trust with audiences here and do some interesting things to get people to continue to have this be a viable thing moving forward. Mm-hmm. So that would be my guess. Cause there's Stephen Capel jr. Who directed this, uh, is already, he, uh, or said yesterday with deadline that he's already officially in talks to direct another one. So, okay. so supposedly paramount is it, that would lead you to believe they're happy with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, okay, so let's get into the, the spoiler stuff. We were talking, I was talking with Jacob about this last week. Um, we're going to go full spoilers for Transformers Rise of the Beast. You probably, if you paid attention to websites like Slashfilm and, and been on Twitter and stuff, you've probably seen what I'm alluding to here and what we're going to talk about next, but just wanted to give uh, one final spoiler warning in case you care about this movie and haven't seen it yet. So fast forward several minutes. Uh, all right, last chance starting now. So Ryan, the film ends with this Transformers G.I. Joe crossover idea. And I was just curious what you thought about the the box office, from a box office and, and sort of a financial perspective. Do you think that this is going to be something that actually really ends up happening? I know you just said Stephen Cable Jr. is talking about potentially directing another one, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think this is something that actually ends up happening? Or do you think this is one of those like Amazing Spider-Man 2 uh, you know, sort of set up for a movie that never actually comes to pass. It's happening. I don't okay. think there's an, I think it's absolutely like, I think they're, I think what they're doing is they're going to lean more into Transformers since that's been the, the bigger franchise. But I think they're going to kind of like try to hope to double up the interest with like both of those things going together. Um, 
like raising both uh, at the same time. I, I did. Stephen Caples talked about it that the script they're already working on, the story they're working on, like they are absolutely including that. But it is going to be Transformers forward, is what he's kind of alluded to. That like the GI Joe will be there, but it's still going to be more of a Transformers movie. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the way to go because the GI Joe movies have only worked so well, and Snake Eyes was one of the biggest bombs of the last four years. I don't know. I'd have to look, yeah, but I mean, the Snake pandemic Eyes, era probably. Snake Eyes was a disaster. So like. But Paramount has has wanted to do this for a very long time. And I think that, like, if you're ever going to do it, I guess now's the time. So I think the movie's absolutely happening. The only thing, the risk you're running, though, is, like, you can maybe raise both franchises with this. Like, if you put both in, you might get a little more audience than Rise of the Beasts alone because you got the G.I. Joe fans out there that would find this interesting. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you run the risk of tanking two franchises, two franchises at once if you completely screw this up. So like, so, so that's, that's risky. Now that's a little bit of an oversimplification, but you do, there is a risk there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm like thinking about what they could call the next one, because don't you have to put GI Joe in the title of the next one in order to sort of maximize? I think it would just be very simple, like Transformers X GI Joe or something. You know what I mean? Like it would just be like, I think you just really simple. Like that would be my guess. I'm not sure, but. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens here. I'm, I'm very curious to see, like you said, there's like a huge sort of risk reward thing going on with that, that, you know, that crossed my mind as well. The, the option of like potentially tanking two franchises at the same yeah. time. If it goes did, did you, did you see it, Ben? Did you watch the movie? I didn't, I did not see. Okay. Uh, All right. the Beast, no. Okay. Um, I was going to ask you for some, okay. Cause like for me, like I don't care about GI Joe at all. I love Transformers, but like, I kind of thought aside from one thing that happened in the movie that I was a little bit not a, a big fan of like I kind of thought the idea of how they folded G.I. Joe in made sense and I'm like all right if you're gonna do it and like for me I like Capel's comments of like keeping it Transformers forward which I like sort of G.I. Joe being like the sector seven of this run of the Transform, this run of the Transformers movies I like the idea so we'll see where it goes but yeah, so I, I read or edited uh, one of the the news articles that we we published on Slash Film, where somebody was talking about like the next film might be um, might leave Earth entirely and be like an interplanetary type of thing. So like in the movie, does it does it uh, explicitly say that like GI Joe is like a, a space force? <laughs> well, not explicitly, but there is definitely like it looks like there's a, again they don't show a ton, but it definitely looks like they're prepared to go to space if need be. Okay. Um, and there's definitely some stuff that happens that like suggests, okay, here's how you could outfit these guys to have them go to space and actually fight alongside alien robots. Um, yeah, they definitely lay some pipe there for sure. Okay. All right. So the next story is, uh, it requires like quite a lot of backstory. I'm, I hesitate to like go into a full thing, but I'll, I'll try to be as uh, succinct as possible here. So the Golden Globes have a new owner and the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is completely shutting down. So over the past couple of years, the HFPA has uh, been sort of embroiled in a number of controversies. Um, a huge one involved like the fact that its membership, which is ar- around 100 people, um, did not have any black members in it. And then there was this uh, these sort of accusations of like... Um, taking bribes from studios for nominations or even awards. There's all sorts of like sketchy behind the scenes stuff going on with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which is this, uh, I guess, like shadowy cabal of journalists who, um, who vote on the Golden Globes awards. 
And so, like I said, there's been this this huge swirling uh, uh, controversy over the past couple of years. The show wasn't even broadcast in 2022. Uh, they, they came back this year for like a one-year deal with NBC. And uh, the future of the gold, the Golden Globes is now sort of up in, in, in the air. Nobody really knows exactly what's going to happen with it. But we do know, uh, according to a report that broke yesterday, that the Hollywood Foreign, Foreign Press Association, as an organization, is shutting down. They have sold off the rights to the Golden Globes, the, uh, you know, the, the assets, the rights, the properties that they own regarding the the, gold, the Globes and it's the sort of the whole award show thing to Dick Clark Productions and this uh, investing equity company called Eldridge. And uh, we don't know really much about like the specifics of what's going to what's going to happen here. We we think that the uh, voting in is going to continue to be done by those core 100 or so members, I think it's 95 members of the original uh, sort of HFPA, um, you know, pre-controversies. The membership had swelled to around 300 people after like they tried to, basically they got called out by the LA Times in this big expose. And they're like, oh, we need to go into sort of damage recovery mode here and bring in a bunch of people of color and try to turn this organization around, get it some legitimacy basically. But interestingly, the LA Times also reported that uh, based on this, uh, business transaction that went on yesterday, those full-timers are now going to be paid $75,000 a year to basically be uh, employees instead of part of a, a nonprofit organization. So there's all sorts of stuff going on here. They, they These people have the option to walk away from the group and take $225,000 as severance, which is kind of like mind-blowing to me. Um, and we don't really know much about like the future of the Golden Globes. So uh, the Golden Globes, for, for those of you who've been paying attention for a long time have, have, have probably been, you've probably been clued into the fact that that entire awards ceremony has been something of a, a pretty huge joke in Hollywood. Um, they make a lot of money because they have ad deals and there's, they're, they're part of the awards season ecosystem. Um, and they, the the globes themselves make a lot of money because of the broadcast deals that they had with NBC and other organizations over the years. Um, but yeah, there, there's just a lot of like tumultuous, goings on right now with this organization. And it'll be interesting to see where the Golden Globes end up, um, you know, whether they end up striking a new deal with a, a broadcaster like NBC, or if they end up, end up going to a streaming service or something. Um, and like how people react to this new sort of shakeup of, of what's going on with uh, the membership and who's going to be voting moving forward and what, you know, the payments that these people are going to be receiving and all that kind of stuff. So um, Ryan, I know that like the award season race is not really something that you pay much attention to, but do you have any thoughts about any of this? Any, did any of this like make it onto your radar at all? Actually, I'm a gigantic award season guy. Uh, that was like uh, outside of like blockbuster stuff. That was like one of my first loves was like sort of Oscar season and, and, but I've never cared oh, for the right. golden I've never cared for the Golden Globes. Like I, I, because again, it's like the Oscars, it's like pretty clear who's deciding what like this. I've always been like, who the hell cares? I don't know who these people are. This yeah. is just, this could be just 15 people. I don't like telling me what they like. Like it, right. it never made sense to me. So I don't know. I, I have a little bit of optimism that like, because, because again, what I want is for award season to stay viable because that's one of the only reasons Hollywood studios are still making certain types of movies. Mm -hmm. Like I've, I talked about this last year. If people stop watching the Oscars and these things stop mattering, the, some of these movies that people like, they're going to go away. Like, because they are not making that much money right now. Like if yeah. at all. 
So it's really more like, you know, stuff like the Fablemans. The Fablemans did not make any money. It lost money. Like, so, you know, so what I want is a viable award season ecosystem that encourages Hollywood to do these things. So for me, what I would like is, is if the Golden Globes can reinvent themselves and put a little bit more transparency in there, maybe be the forward thinking one, maybe partner with a streaming service and a network like you have broadcast rights and streaming rights, make it easy for people to watch this stuff, make it easy for people to care, you know, cause like your average person doesn't give a damn um, mm-hmm. anymore. And, and so, you know, there, I think there's some opportunity here, whether or not that is what happens, I don't know, but I, I, I despite my feelings about the golden globes, it, it is a part of that ecosystem that sort of, is sorely needed right now. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And sorry for mischaracterizing your uh, your stance on uh, Oscar season stuff. As I was, as you were talking, I remember you telling me about like you and your mom watching the Oscars when you were growing oh, yeah. up and all that. So yeah. Oh they, no, they no, but uh, but also like to be clear, like my usual, you know, my usual um, popcorn eating rube stance uh, does not <laughs> seem to line up with. So I get it. Most people would not assume me, me, but yeah, I get it. Okay. All right. Let's take a quick break actually. And then we'll be right back to talk about some big Disney release date shuffles. All right. So Ryan, I think this was earlier this morning, uh, Disney basically completely upended its entire upcoming release slate, including uh, Marvel stuff, Avatar stuff, Star Wars stuff. So I I wanted to run through a few of these things with you. What I'm not going to do is tell you, okay, this movie moved from this date to this date, because as a listener of a billion other podcasts, when people start throwing out numbers like that, my mind just, you know, my eyes go gray and like glaze over and I cannot process what people are saying. So I'm just going to link to the stuff in the, in the show notes. People can, you know, uh, uh, you know, pr- bring out their calendar apps and actually like update, uh, you know, and, and dig into the, the specific details that they want to get into it uh, and into the nitty gritty that way. But I wanted to um, talk about a few Marvel takeaways. So Deadpool 3 is the only superhero movie of this whole batch of upcoming Marvel projects that has actually been moved up instead of back. And it moved up six months to May 2024. I don't really have like you know, a, a super um, keen insight on what that means other than like, it's probably well along in, and, you know, f- much more ready to, to go and probably doesn't have much more uh, work to be done on it, which is like a, pr- a fairly obvious takeaway. Do you have any, any um, additional thoughts about uh, Deadpool three, Ryan? Yeah, I do actually. Uh, I think Ryan Reynolds has been quietly getting quite a bit of shit because uh, that movie is still filming and he's technically a writer on it, I think, or one of the, and uh, like, you know, the writer strikes going on, but that movie has been filming the whole way. So like, has it really? Okay. I didn't yeah. There's that. been a little bit of like, you know, like, eh, sh- you know, cause a lot of other movies have shut down and famously Marvel movies kind of are ever evolving. You know, it's not like the scripts are airtight when those things, you know, so yeah, I don't know. But anyway, my point being, this thing has been filming the whole way through and hasn't shut down. You look at every other movie on Marvel's schedule between, I, we don't need to talk about it too much, but the Jonathan Majors of it all and mm-hmm. the Fantastic Four stuff, kind of Blade, all these things being a little messy. Deadpool's the only one that has a shot at coming out next summer. So, like, you know, now, now whether or not they, Sean Levy or Reynolds or any of them wanted this to happen, Marvel and Disney are like, look, you gotta, you gotta now shoulder this burden because we need a Marvel movie out next summer. So, you yeah, know. I, I'm looking at this right now, Ryan, and basically, the uh, I'm seeing several reports that were saying that the the strike has forced uh, Ryan Reynolds to stick to the script that existed at the beginning of the strike, and now he will not be allowed to improv 
And that's kind of the whole thing with, with the Deadpool movies. So like, A, how does anyone actually enforce that on the set? Are there... Right. I mean, I, I just, I'm, I'm not really sure the mechanics, like the, the physical, you know, how somebody actually really draws a line and then makes sure that that's not crossed. And then B, if that's actually the case, is Deadpool 3 going to come out in the wash, like sort of... Um, you know, worse off than the previous two Deadpool movies, which like personally I didn't care for uh, because you're taking away the X factor of him actually being able to improv on the set, which is kind of like Ryan Reynolds whole thing, you know? Wait, you didn't like Deadpool the first one? No, no, I was not a fan. Wow. That is amazing to me. Uh, that's another, that's another conversation, but, uh, but uh, okay. <laughs> but, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm with you. There, there's, I don't know. That's interesting to me. And, and, but yeah, I, 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 we can talk more about it later, I guess. But like that—that's really my main takeaway is that they Marvel cannot not have a movie out next summer, and this now is the only movie that's possible. Yeah. So, so whether or not they were ready for it, I, my suspicion is that they were not planning to come out six months early. They were not just like, "Wow, look at us moving ahead of schedule." Now right. it's just more <laughs> of like a Disney mandate thing, and I'm guessing everyone that was on that movie is now just like, you know grabbing some Excedrin and just being like, all right, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's my guess. But yeah, the, the other big um, takeaways for me for Marvel were that uh, Avengers Kang Dynasty has moved back an entire year. So then, now that's going to be coming out in May of 2026. And Avengers Secret Wars is going to be also moved back a year. And that's coming out in May of 2027. And that's notable because, as you mentioned, you sort of alluded to, Ryan, like the Jonathan Majors controversy, you know, we're still... I guess waiting to see how that whole situation is resolved in the courts or whatever. I'm not really sure like where that that whole thing stands right now. You can Google that if you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but that's a, a potentially a big problem for Marvel and this this uh, uh, delay, which I assume has something you know a pretty significant amount to do with the writer strike. Um, yeah, that my guess is this whole slate being delayed is the writer strike and a combination of, but mostly the writer strike. Yeah, um, this delay now gives Marvel another year to basically figure out what the heck they're going to do. And and I, I'm curious if you have any other takeaways on that, or if you just thought the same thing when you saw this. If Kang Dynasty, I wouldn't be as shocked if Kang Dynasty still happens in some way. However, if Kang Dynasty still happens with Jonathan Majors in the lead, I will eat my hat on camera. Wow. Um, I don't, there is no way. I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I can't fathom. Uh, you know, yeah. Mar Marvel's had enough problems uh, post Endgame that, yeah, I don't, I don't want to get into it too much, but I, I, yeah. I, I, all I'll say is, you know, and then you're looking at May 2027, expect a soft reboot of the MCU in summer 2028. That's my guess. Yeah, yeah. And you've predicted that before, and I, I think that mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm wondering if they just scrap Kang Dynasty altogether and just go with Secret Wars and make that maybe like a two-part movie or something. Or I've hesitated sort of to speculate that, but yeah. But then the other, the other bit of synergy, this just occurred to me. If they do do that soft reboot I've been predicting in 2028... That would be exactly 20 years since Iron Man. So there'd be a bit of like a full circle thing there. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so Avatar, uh, you know, Disney and 20th Century Fox and, and I think maybe some, uh, or 20th Century Studios, excuse me, um, 
there are several projects that were delayed. Uh, the Avatar movies, all of them, have now been delayed again, which is just a really cruel joke at this point. I mean, there were so many jokes about the delay of Avatar 2, and now uh, we're not even going to see Avatar 3 until December of 2025. Um, Avatar 5, the fifth and presumably final movie, is now coming out in December 2031, Ryan, which just sounds so futuristic and ridiculous that it... it, it I, I just can't even really believe it. Um, I, I'm not convinced that Avatar 5 is actually going to be like the end of Avatar as we know it. It's the the last one that James Cameron has announced at this point. Um, it could be the last one that James Cameron himself is involved in. He's going to be 77 years old in uh, 2031. Um, but I, I feel like Disney is as investing so heavily in Avatar as a, a piece of intellectual property that they're just going to continue to expand and build that out even after these five movies are done. So, um, that I'm, I mean, I assume you agree with that, Ryan. That doesn't really seem like much of a stretch to, to as a prediction. Maybe not. I don't know. I mean, I think obviously they're investing in it as IP, but I think what's interesting now is like delaying them again. So, okay, look, Avatar 3 2025, that's not three years between sequels is not the biggest thing in the world anymore, but like, then you have a four year gap until avatar four again. And like, I think what's interesting about that is that there, there had been some speculation that Cameron had filmed a little bit of four and maybe a little bit of five when he was doing all that work. Seems clear to me, they haven't done anything on four or five. So then that all of a sudden starts the cycle over again of like all this work. Tell you who I feel bad for is like Zoe Saldana, who's just trying desperately to get out of these things. And now yeah. it's just like, Till 20, she's going to be, oh my God, that I feel so bad for like, <laughs> like, you know, she just, just like, I don't know. I, that's a whole other thing, but like, man, oh man, I just don't think she wants to be doing this that long. Um, yeah. I don't think any of them do, to be honest, but, but uh, I mean, it's a lot of money. So, you know, whatever, but like, but yeah, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, it, it just, and also just, the only thing for me, and I've said this before, not a big Avatar guy at all. I love James Cameron. I am so upset that like the last thing James Cameron will ever do is like these five avatar movies. I would give anything for, for like him to just be like, ah, screw it. Three's enough. And then just like, you know, make other stuff, but whatever he's going to, he's going to die making avatar movies. It's what he wants to do. I mean, there's still a chance, Ryan, like, like Scorsese is 80 or 81 or something at this point. Clint Eastwood is directing a movie. He's 93 at this point. So like, you know, 2031 rolls around. James Cameron's 77. He's still got some years ahead of him. Maybe he's, he's in, he's in, uh, in good shape and all that. I mean, you know, th there's a possibility that he could uh, decide right, that, to. That's if we assume this timeline sticks. Right. Like, because there's, I mean, the, as long as Avatar 2 got delayed, who knows? Yeah, you that's know, true. But, but, but yeah, I'm with you. I would give anything for that to be true. Like Michael Mann right now is, I think, pushing 80 and he's got that Ferrari movie coming out and then he's going to make Heat 2. And I'm just like, that's all I need. Just please, Michael Mann, please yeah. God, make, make it that long. But uh, um, before we get to the Star Wars stuff, there's one other uh, sort of um, piece of information that was slipped into uh, Disney's big release date shuffle that um, I know you found really interesting, Ryan, which is that the untitled alien event movie is coming up on uh, August 16th of next year, 2024. Um, what were your, your gut reactions to that? Hell and yes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So Fede Alvarez uh, of the evil dead remake fame um, is, uh, is directing that movie. And uh, that's been in production for a bit. If it's not already done filming, it should be soon. Um, so they got quite a bit of time to finish that up. But uh, 
Yeah, so originally that was going to be like a direct-to-Hulu thing, like Prey was, but it's clear that Disney and everyone else is like, okay, streaming movies just don't make sense anymore. So, like, you know. Uh, so, and my guess is since they were going to make it for Hulu, probably $25, $30 million budget, like there's no way it's like another $100 million alien movie. So, you know, low risk, high reward potential there. And uh, yeah, no, I'm all for it. Alien is one of my very favorite franchises. And uh, I'm, I'm very, very excited about this. I've not been paying enough attention, Ryan, to know like if they are, did you say where they are in the, the filming? Uh, if they're actually like halfway done or they're, they've actually started rolling cameras or. Well, or oh, no, it's, it's well into filming, like, well, well, like okay. they've been filming for weeks. So like, again, if it's not already finished filming, I would assume Okay. That'll be happening soon. Um, yeah, I was wondering because it's moving to theatrical instead of a, a presumed sort of Hulu thing along the lines of like what Prey, the Predator movie Prey did. Um, if Disney was just going to give this like an influx of extra money to sort of make it more quote unquote theatrical. A lot of I, I would assume that like in post-production, you would probably get a bit of a bigger budget to make the, because I even assume that like, I think Prey looked great. But I would even have suspected that if they did put Prey in theaters, they might have given a little bit more visual effects budget. Mm -hmm. um, but like, yeah, so I would think here, because same thing with like the Boogeyman, which you saw and I just saw. I think that the Boogeyman was really supposed to go to Hulu. And again, I would bet that like if they knew it was going to go to theaters, they might have given a little bit more money for that monster like that. Yeah. That would have been my guess. But um, but yeah, so I would assume so. But I think I think it makes a ton of sense. And I'm very happy to see like the industry come to their senses on this particular issue of like there's no point in putting franchise films and like relatively big movies direct to streaming and i'm very happy this is that is no longer a thing yeah uh okay so let's get into the star wars of it all um this is the last thing i think we're, that we're going to talk about on today's show uh but you wrote an article ryan called two new star wars movies coming in 2026 and lucasfilm may repeat a big mistake um so we know that according to these delays and this new sort of um release calendar that Disney is going to be putting out an untitled star Wars movie on May 22nd, 2026 and December 18th of 2026. And then another one, the following December in 2027. Um, the idea that we're going to go from the year 2019, which is the last time we saw a theatrical star Wars movie released and then nothing, all TV stuff. And then there's going to be two star Wars movies in the same year again. Uh, what do you think about that? Ryan? First off, I think it's worth remembering that it felt like an eternity between Revenge of the Sith and The Force Awakens. That gap of time, if I'm not mistaken, was nine years? Yeah, I think uh, it was nine years. Yeah, well, let's see. It was 2015 and then 2006, right? Uh, 2005, I think, is when. Yeah, so like 10 years, yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, okay. But all right. But so so you're talking, yeah, 2005. So 10 years. Uh, but summer to December, so like nine and a half years, let's call it yeah, whatever. But yeah. like, but um, you're looking at almost seven years. So that that gap is not that much longer, like in, in the Disney era. So that's a, that's a big gap. And yes, excitement will be there for a theatrical Star Wars movie. However, we have seen Star Wars is not Marvel. Like it can't sustain that same sort of cinematic universe thing. It's not in the same way. Like at least theatrically. You can have movies, but then you can also have TV shows, novels, whatever. We've seen that overconfidence in Star Wars is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I am not here to ignite a debate about these movies. What I am saying is that The Last Jedi came out in December of 2017. 
less than six months later, Solo, A Star Wars Story hit theaters in May of 2018. Last Jedi, undeniably, maybe the most divisive mainstream blockbuster of the last 20 years. I don't know. But um, Lucasfilm thought they hit a home run with that. They were clearly surprised by the reaction. And even though it didn't make over a billion dollars. Right. It made $1.3 billion. It made a ton of money. But then having Solo come out so close to that as a movie that I think a lot of people felt seemed a little unnecessary anyway, uh, Solo was doomed. Uh, Solo is still the by the, lo- the lowest grossing live action Star Wars movie. And that's not accounting for inflation. The original trilogy made more money. You know, so like, so that, you know, that's, that's pretty incredible. So, you know, then that changed Lucasfilm thinking we never got that Boba Fett movie. Obi- Obi-Wan was supposed to be a movie, got turned into a TV show. And I think that turned into the gun shy nature of like why we haven't had a Star Wars movie for seven years. That's the moment right there, putting out those mm-hmm. two movies within six months of each other. So, you know, uh, I don't, and you and I talked about this a little bit earlier. This is what the release dates look like now. Lucasfilm is developing like a handful of Star Wars movies right now, three of which were announced at Star Wars Celebration. I don't know for sure that those release dates stick as we see them. Yep. Yeah, I think it's possible that Lucasfilm knows that they're not going to release two Star Wars movies in a year because uh, I think, as you mentioned in your article, like Kathleen Kennedy was just talking like a few weeks ago, it seems like, about how she wants to release a Star Wars movie every three or four years instead of what Iger was talking about years ago about like, all right, one a year, you know, let's let's make this an annual thing, an annual event. Um, I think Kennedy was basically saying like, okay, we've seen that that doesn't really work the way that we want it to. So let's spread things out, make it a little bit more special, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I just think it's possible that Lucasfilm knows that they're not going to release two Star Wars movies in a year, but they're keeping their flag planted on these release dates, which are valuable in the grand scheme of their competition with other studios and not opening things up and and sort of admitting defeat and saying, okay, we're, we're not actually going to release a Star Wars movie on this date. Um, just because that will give studios another opening, you know, rival studios an opening to swoop in and say, okay, if you're clearing out on this date, we're going to put something big here too. Because like, there's always the chance, like you said, that things shuffle around more and Disney says, okay, by the way, you know, we we knew that we're not going to put a Star Wars movie here, but we can actually slot, you know, some other, you know, Moana or some other live action Disney thing that we have, this new Bambi movie, whatever the case may be, uh, into that slot. And, and people, you know, other studios have sort of, uh, stayed away from that slot because, oh, it's Disney and it's scary and we don't want to compete with Disney head on. So um, there may be a little bit of like gamesmanship going on here, um, but it would be, I, I think, fairly catastrophic if they actually stuck with this and said, you know what, we are going to release two, <laughs> two Star Wars movies in the same year, like within a few months of each other. Um, yeah, it doesn't have to be. Like, because the thing is, like, you know, let's say you get whatever the May 2026, let's say the May, let's just, let's just hypothetically, that May 2026 one is Dave Filoni's Star Wars movie. Mm -hmm. And then, like, it just crushes. Star Wars Heir to the Empire, which I am convinced it will be called, um, uh, is just absolutely destroys. So then you head into December 2026 and people are, like, all about it. Like, let's go. And that's, like, the Ray Star Wars movie. And it's been long enough to kind of, like, forget that rise of Skywalker wasn't great, but like people still liked Ray and the, and the trailer's great and it looks great. And so like, there's a way in which it works, but again, you're gambling on the reception to that first movie. And that's what you can't do. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if like, 
Yeah, that, that, yeah, you're exactly right. And I just think the the um, the Dave Filoni thing, the Mandalorian movie, the sort of um, collection of all these different Mandalorian verse stories into a live action theatrical feature is just such a strange choice because uh, because it requires such an investment on people's part. It's not like I'm know, betting Marvel- anything. It doesn't. I'm betting anything. Filoni is going to find a way to make that work. Like with only like maybe a tertiary understanding of like, this is who Mando is. This is who baby Yoda is like. And I think Ahsoka has become a big enough star Wars character that even just seeing her would be enough. I, I, I think Filoni's smart enough to find a way to do this. I know what you're getting at, but I don't think that's going to be the case. I just think like he hasn't even proved it in the shows yet that that he can do it because I think a lot of people have dropped off from watching the Star Wars shows because it feels too much like, oh, I haven't seen any of the animated stuff. Therefore, I'm not really as invested in what's going on with the battle, the siege of Mandalore and all this like, you know, stuff that that has been set up foundationally years before in an entirely other show that just requires so much buy in. There's so much buy in in the modern blockbuster era already, um, you know, with the MCU and whatever, like, but even Marvel, I I feel like has done a a fairly decent job of like making the shows feel, um, I don't know, not, not a hundred percent essential. I just don't know. It's, it seems like such a huge ask for Filoni or any storyteller to take all these threads from these TV shows and weave them into a movie that makes sense for somebody who can just walk in, who has only seen, you know, the, the original trilogy, the prequels and the, the sequel trilogy and, and be able to like fully track what's going on. Um, I, I have a bit of a different, I understand, don't get me wrong. I get that. I, my first thing would be, let's see what happens with Ahsoka, which Dave Filoni wrote every episode. And like, let's see what happens when he is in full control of a live action thing. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, you know, I don't know. I still contend that if anyone can figure out a way to do it, it's Filoni, but yeah, I hear you. Okay. Any other takeaways, Ryan, about the the delays here, and and maybe like what you think about the future of uh, theatrical Star Wars projects? Like, I think there there are a few other Star Wars Star Wars projects that were, I guess, rumbling around in development that were not, um, you know, n- nobody knows what these these new release dates, which movies are going to be dropped onto these release dates. I think because they said at Celebration, hey, we've got these three movies that we want to sort of foreground and like let everybody know about. Like you mentioned, the, the Daisy Ridley one, the um, Filoni one, and then James Mangold is doing like Dawn of the Jedi kind of one. Um, but these these projects, these, these new dates don't have specific titles associated with them. And then there's like the Taika Waititi movie and like, you know, potentially the Kevin Feige movie that, you know, we talked about. <laughs> yeah, Kathleen good luck Kennedy's with that one. Comments with that. Um, <laughs> but do, do you have any thoughts about like which projects might uh, might go first here or like which ones um, you think might might? Yeah, I don't know. Slide into these slots at all. I, I would guess the earliest you're seeing that Taika Waititi movie is right about the time we're all going to watch Avatar 5. Um, uh, I, I, I really can't figure out in my head whether or not it's that Mando Dave Filoni movie that goes first or the Ray movie that goes first, but I think Lucasfilm wants a somewhat safe movie to return to theatrical Star Wars mm-hmm. and James Mangold's Dawn of the Jedi doesn't seem as safe. And also Mangold is making Swamp Thing and I'm getting you anything Swamp Thing goes first. So yeah. I would guess that like that Mangold one would be 2027 if these dates hold. Um, but yeah, like you said, nothing is set in stone right now, but, um, yeah. Cause I feel like that man, if the Mando one comes any later than 2026, it would feel late. 
like based on what we know is going on with the shows. Because yeah, really, okay, yeah, that's a good point. So it's really it's all 20... you're waiting on is like Ahsoka and Mando season four. Then conceivably, you do that movie. Yeah, that's interesting. So, hmm. Yeah, maybe maybe that sort of forces their hand to do the Mando one first, just because they're going to be waiting there. Because I guess what you do, they've said that Mando is supposed to be four seasons and out. Is have they? Have they I don't know if they said four seasons and out, but we know season four is coming, and then you know Ahsoka is coming this year. So like, I feel like you don't necessarily need to do any more, because especially because they're already getting to Thrawn, you're already getting a lot of this stuff set up. Yeah, I don't know how much more you set up before. Again, I know it hasn't been announced, but it is so clear what they're doing. Like they are yeah. doing heir to the empire. Let's stop pretending like they're not. Like you're, you're, the, the, most of that. Like Ahsoka is going to set the last pieces of that in place. I firmly believe. So yeah, like, I wonder if they'll do Ahsoka season two and then the movie or something. Like I don't, they, I can't imagine based on what I've seen in that Ahsoka trailer. Like it feels like they're setting it all up. Like it just feels like everything's going to be in place. I'm not saying Ahsoka season two won't happen. I'm just saying that like. You know, it seems like, again, this is all speculative, but, yeah, like, yeah, I, you yeah. know, I would. So that's my only thing is I think that movie has to sort of happen maybe in that 2026 window. But um, but even but, that's kind of a long gap, right, between Mando and, and well, Ahsoka. Let's like, assume Ahsoka Ahsoka's coming out what, August this year. And then, yeah. and then let's assume Mando season four, 2025. Then that oh, gives you, you think I, I just assumed it would be next year. No, but. I don't think so. Um, okay. so, so especially with the writer's strike, I don't think so. So, okay. but, but, but so then, then Mando season, uh, four, 2025, that tees up the ball air to the empire 2026. That's what I think. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have your uh, predictions here on the record, Brian, so we can look back and laugh at how wrong I was. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, all right. I think that's going to do it for today's show. Uh, you can find more about all of the stories that we mentioned at SlashFilm.com. I'll link to several of them in the show notes here. The Slash Film Show is published two times a week, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.